Would you open your Bible with me this evening, tonight, to the book of Revelation, chapter 16. Revelation 16. And we're there right beyond the halfway or midpoint of the book of Revelation. Really looking at the end times. We go even back and remember Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, which is a key verse of this book, where the Lord tells here John the Apostle as he's there exiled in the island of Patmos. He says, write the things that you've seen, the things which are, and the things that will take place after this. That outlines the book of Revelation for us. First, in chapter 1, you see the vision of Jesus. Then, throughout chapters 2 through 4, you see the church age in heaven. And then finally, throughout the entire rest of the book, from you know, chapters 5 and on, you see the last days. And that's exactly what we're studying in this chapter and in this section. The last days. After the rapture of the church, we are here in the last days. And we're at the seven-year tribulation mark where we've already seen the seven seals now be loose from that scroll where the Lamb reads out the judgment upon this earth. We've been introduced to the dragon and to the beast and to the false prophet and seen the trumpets, the seven trumpets that also usher in a different type of judgment on this earth. And then finally, we get to that third woe or that third sorrow, the worst sorrow of them all, which then brings the judgment of the seven bowls. And that's exactly what we're going to look at today. The title of the message is, The Seven Bowls of God's Wrath. The Seven Bowls of God's Wrath. Now in the last few chapters, from chapters 10 to chapter 15, we've spoken that these are parenthetical chapters. What does that mean? That these chapters are chapters that give us a foreword as to what is to come later on in this book. It's a now introduction, it's a foreword of what we are to expect. But now in chapter 16, we go back to chronological. What does that mean? Is that now he's sharing the events as they were to take place one after the other. And here in chapter 16, we see the last judgments in the seven bowls here on earth before the second coming of Christ. The rapture took place, these judgments are now ushered in, and right after the seven bold judgments, we now receive the second coming of Christ. It's very important that we realize as we study eschatology and the judgments that are to come in full wrath, without mercy and without grace on this earth, that the things that are going to be taking place have never been taken place before, nor will they ever happen again. And as they progress, now these judgments and these bowls, as we're going to read, they happen in rapid succession, one worse than the one before it. But what is to happen during this time? The Antichrist is on the scene. And he's answering now the problem of a global economic and religious, now even war crisis. But before he answers now that problem of peace, Before he provides his satanic solutions, everything must come to an ultimate collapse, a climax. Here the Antichrist is going to show up on the scene on earth and offer satanic solutions and deceive many people. But those solutions can only come to problems that already existed. So this is why we see now the stage being set right now in our economy, in the Middle East with war, through now the one world globalism agenda that is happening right now, because it all sets the stage for the Antichrist to come as the answer to all of the problems that we are seeing even right now. But what do these judgments do? Why are they now here introduced as the seven bowls in chapter 16? Because this is God's plan. That God is leading a plan to the fall of Babylon. It speaks of it In the next few chapters, Babylon is the system of the beast. And in chapter 15, he introduced to us seven angels that were clothed like priests that signify or tell us that God's holy indignation or His holy 
wrath now is righteous and is true. This chapter here exists for the specific purpose that we realize that God knows everything from the end all the way to the beginning. And it's a warning for people to repent of their sin and to return to the Lord. So some, the Bible tells us, will be saved by grace and others will be saved by fear. And this is exactly why the judgment that is to come takes place. It's in Jude chapter 1, Jude 1, verse 22, that the Bible tells us this, and on some have compassion, making a distinction, but on others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Some will be saved by God's grace, by God's goodness. Some will receive the goodness of God in turn because of the goodness of God. But others will have to receive this judgment or will have to be introduced and live during this period so that they can turn to God. And in chapter 16, we see three things. Number one, the wrath of God. Number two, the war of Armageddon. And then the wasting of the earth. Number three. And what does this all remind us? What, why is it that we study this today? What difference should it make in your everyday life? Well, number one, it should remind you to not live for this world, to live for eternity. That we're just passing by on this earth. And that we should not become comfortable in the earth that we live in right now in this world. We are not of this world. Remind yourself that as we read Revelation. God has called you out of this world to live for Him. That we would not experience, that we would not have to go through this tribulation period. That we would now come to Christ. That we would repent of our sin. They would say, Lord, if you come tonight, if the rapture of the church takes place tonight, we would be raptured up to be with the Lord in heaven and not have to go through this terrible time. How many of us can praise God that we are not going to be here during this time because we put our faith in Jesus? But understand this, God's grace is not to be abused. If today you are abusing God's grace, understand that you will reap that which you sow. That we cannot get away with sin. That we cannot test God in our sin. He is a loving God. He's a gracious God. And because He's loving, He's also just. And He will bring judgment. Notice what it takes place here in Revelation Chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went out and poured out his bowl upon the earth. And a foul and a loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image. And the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became blood as of a dead man and every living creature in the sea died. And the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is, who was, and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is they're just due. Let's pray. Lord, we ask tonight that You would speak to us, Lord. Remind us, Lord, that You are just. That You have the final word. And that today we would run, Lord, to Your mercy. We would run to Your grace. That we would not harden our hearts. That they would open our heart. That we would surrender today, Lord. So that we would be ready, watching and waiting knowing that You are coming soon for Your church, that we would not be asleep. So Lord, speak to us, Lord, even through Your holy indignation, through Your judgment. In Jesus' name, and together we said, Amen. Notice how John says this, and then I heard a loud voice. He's seeing visions. He's hearing voices. After this, I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels. Here's this loud voice instructing the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. This is the last judgment before 
the second coming as we mentioned. And this strong voice now is indicating that it is time now to pour out one bowl consecutively after the other that comes with the righteous judgment of God. These bowls are containing God's wrath. So as they are being served on this earth, God's wrath is being emptied upon a rebellious, sinful people. And notice what happens. The first bowl signifies or serves the wrath of God as Lotham soars. And as you look at these now bowl judgments, you're reminded of the plagues of Egypt. Notice as you look at each every one of the bowls, they come and they remind you of the plagues of Egypt. It says, so the first one now and poured out his bowl upon the earth. And a foul and a loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped the image. The first bowl was poured out and what took place? The wrath of God was emptied upon this rebellious people on this earth at that time now. But only, notice verse 2, on those who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image. The wrath of God was poured upon only on those. The judgment was poured upon only on those who had worshipped the beast. Now these sores remind us of those boils there in the book of Exodus. And what is a boil? These sores that were taking place now, they broke out like malignant sores, boils that were agonizing in pain. They were excruciating. They were incurable that would bring torment to people because of the type of pain that they would bring. And when you look at what a boil is, truly, it's the outward display of an inward problem. That's what a boil is on the body. An outward display of an inward problem. There's something bad that's going inside of the body that causes it to boil and then to erupt. And so likewise, the judgment that here is displayed in the first bowl that is served are these sores that bring a physical pain, a torment through physical pain. To who? To only those who had accepted the mark of the beast and that were worshiping the image and that they had rejected the warnings up until this point. Now do you see that God is sparing those that had remained steadfast? Those that had remained now separated unto Him? Those that are still not bowing down to the beast to worship the image? But what takes place here, what you see here, even in Verse 2 is that God is saying, I'm a jealous God. And those of you that bow down to that beast will be served of the judgment of God. Let's look here at verse 3 now. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became like blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Do you remember the Nile River there in Egypt? It was turned also into blood. And here we see in verse 3 that the angel, the second angel, poured out this bowl now, and it became as blood as dead men there in the sea. And it says that every living creature of the sea died only to bring more misery on the judgment that was already present. But if you remember in the trumpet judgments, what took place, this catastrophic event with where one-third of the sea was now polluted or made bitter. It was one-third that received judgment. But here in the bowls, it's not one-third. It's not a section only of the bodies of waters at this time. It's all of it now. Just imagine, all of the bodies of waters, all of the oceans, all of the seas now, their water turns into blood as of dead men, and then it cuts all type of ocean water life um, as if it were dead. And this is exactly the second judgment it turns the sea into blood. Verse 4 speaks of the third bowl. Let's look at the third bowl. And the third angel poured out his bowl on rivers and springs. Now drinking water now. Of water. And they became blood. And I heard an angel now of the waters saying. Before we see what's taking place, what the angel is saying, we notice here that not only is the sea life now dead, but also any type of drinking water is dead. The water becomes like blood. They have nothing to drink now. There's global pollution, global contamination. Just think about what takes place if someone was suffering of sores. They, 
They don't even have water or clean water to clean those sores. The, the, the pain is incurable. So here's describing a torment that you cannot escape, that you cannot survive in for long. And notice what happens now as this, now rivers or drinking waters, these springs are turned into blood. Verse 5, he says, He hears an angel of the water saying, You are righteous. O Lord, this is a song. This is worship. To the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. Here you see the angel now, praising God, saying from heaven, who has the authority over the waters. He says, you are just, you are righteous, O Lord. Now, as we see verse 5 and verse 6, we learn the attributes of God in His judgment. The attributes of God in His judgment. What are the attributes of God? These are the things, His attributes, that He has revealed to us about Himself. For example, God is righteous. That is His attribute. It speaks of the truth about God. God is holy. That is the attribute of God. And we are able to know about God only as much as He chooses to reveal Himself to us. And here in His judgment, God is so faithful because even in a time of judgment, notice, God is allowing us to get to know who He is. And how do we see who He is? We see His attributes. We see His character in verse 5 where it says, Lord, You are righteous. What does it mean, righteous? You are a just God. When this judgment is taking place, it's not unjust judgment. It's not unfair. It's rightly deserved. And in fact, it says, You are righteous, O Lord. You who are judging, O Lord. The One, verse 5, who is and who was and who is to be. Not only are You just, You are the Holy One. There's no one like You. And You are the eternal God. Now, do you see here that we're learning about who God is through judgment? (laughs) That God is revealing Himself to us through judgment now. You're the one who is. You're the one who was. You're the one that is to be. You're the eternal God. You are outside of time. And you see all things before they begin and even after they end, you are still there. He goes on in verse 5, it says, because you have judged these things. You have the authority and you have the power to judge. Here it really speaks of who God is in light of His judgment. He has every power, every right, every authority to judge this world in its sin. In fact, He says here in verse 5 as well, because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of the saints. Which blood have they shed? They've shed those prophets that God has sent, that they have killed and martyred. They have shed and the blood of those that they have rejected, even from the Old Testament as well in New Testament, those that they have rejected. What is God doing now to this world now? He is now giving them and serving them blood to drink for themselves. And notice what it says at the end of verse 6, for it is their just due. It is their just reward. This punishment fits the crime. You think to yourself, well, does this punishment truly fit the crime? Yes, it does. God has justification for this terrible judgment because they shed the blood of the prophets that they rejected, now they are to drink the blood of those streams. You think about how this type of living does to a person as they're in physical pain, they have nothing to wash themselves with, and they have nothing to drink to relieve themselves of this pain. It's an agony. And in verse 7, notice what happens. And I heard another angel from the altar saying, Even so, there's a response from heaven. Even so, Lord God Almighty, or you are omnipotent. Again, the attributes of God. Lord, you are all powerful. There's an echo here that are words that are reinforcing the truth that God is just in all His judgment. This is why we have to say, well, Lord, when God does something in our lives, we cannot say, oh God, that was unfair. Or Lord, why is it that you're doing this in my life right now? I can't believe that you're doing this right now. God's a just God. And He has the final word. He is in control of all things. He has 
power in His hands. In fact, when God writes history, He doesn't use an eraser because He makes no mistakes. And just think about that. As God is writing your story right now, He has written it perfectly. And when He takes us through a trial, notice that it's for our own good that we are to receive it now, knowing that He is a just God. So maybe you say, well, man has put me in an unfair situation. God is still a just God. He will have the final word. A president is not going to have a final word. A political party is not going to have a final word. These angels that are in heaven are saying, God, you are just. You're all-powerful. You alone, are. there's no one like you. You have the final word. Why? Because it is He who is sitting on the throne. And here we're receiving a revelation now of who He is. Now notice here in verse 8, as we continue seeing the fourth bowl now that is poured upon the earth. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the, on the sun, and the power was given to him to scorch men with fire. The fourth angel came and he poured now his bowl on the sun. Notice these are quickly going one after the other. And the sun now has power to scorch all men. The, powers, now the sun's power now increases in strength or intensity. And now with the radiation of the sun now, it burns everyone here on earth. In fact, notice as you read this, many of us, many of the commentators that have studied this now even chapter and verse believe that it would seem as if the atmosphere, just think about this as you're walking around, it would seem as if the atmosphere were on fire. <laughs> the atmosphere were on fire. And it would melt the polar ice caps on the globe, on this earth. It would be an unbearable pain that the sun would now be scorching this earth. It would be now like living in hell. Notice the type of judgment in, in verse 5 that it describes. And men were scorched with great heat. They were burned with the great wrath of God. Now notice, today we sense or we receive the judgment of God oftentimes with a spiritual way through a spiritual trial. But here he says you're going to feel physically the wrath of God to those that have not repented. But what happens to man as they are receiving judgment? It says they would be scorched with great heat and they blaspheme. Notice what happens the name of God who has the power over these plagues and they did not repent and give Him glory. Isn't that the sad story of what takes place even today? That God comes into our lives and He chastises us so that we would repent, so that we would learn, so that we would grow. And instead of doing it, what happens? Our heart becomes hard. And we begin to curse God and to blame God. It said there in verse 9 that they knew where this judgment was coming from, but they still refused to repent. Notice as it describes it there, even in verse 9, they did not repent. They cursed the name of God who was in control or who was behind these plagues. And they started to blaspheme Him. This speaks of a stubborn, stiff-necked people that didn't turn to God. Their pride and their arrogance. Notice, a pride and arrogance. How can you not see that God now is bringing judgment because of your rebellion? And what happens? Well, no, I'm still not going to repent. I'm not going to change my mind. I'm going to become hard. They were proudful. They were arrogant. They knew who was behind it, but they were unwilling because of the hardness of their heart against the grace of God. You see, all of these served as a warning. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 1, it describes this as a fulfilled prophecy as it says this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. The sun would be burning now like an oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will stumble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. They will leave them neither root nor branch. Now think about this as it described the first bulls that were served. What would happen if the sun had a power now that was intensified in radiation to burn this earth and those that lived on this earth? After, notice this, after all the waters were polluted, you would have nothing to now quench the thirst or to cover it now or satisfy the thirst. The judgment 
that He brings will bring all men to their knees. You see how interesting this is? That there is no water to cure you of those now sores. That there is no water now to quench that thirst. And now the sun now is scorching the backs and the bodies of all men. And now in the fifth bowl, in verse 10, it says, And the fifth bowl poured out His bowl on the throne of the beast. Many times when we read this, people wonder, what is the throne of the beast? Well, His throne, it says that He would be and establish a throne there in Jerusalem, declare Himself to be God and to be worshipped. But it said it would be poured on the throne there. And what is His throne? A system of false religion, a false power now, a false sense of peace. And in verse 10 it would say, that and His kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. After that, on the fifth bowl of judgment, there would come a, dark, a darkness like it's never been before, but only there at the epicenter or the operations of where the Antichrist would be ruling. And what would be the effect of this darkness? That they were going to be grinding their teeth because of the pain and because of the terror and because of the fear. A darkness that brings you fear. A darkness that brings you separation. That's a type of darkness that hasn't been experienced before. And what happens there in verse 11? And they again, second time, they blaspheme the, the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Even those at that time. One judgment after the other. What happens? They did not repent. They're rejecting God and rebelling that only causes more pain. Did you know that the more you reject God, the more that you rebel, it only causes more pain? You may think, well, I I don't want the Lord. You know, the Lord is is keeping me from pleasure. The Lord is keeping me from fun. The Lord doesn't want me to do anything in this earth. And, and, you you know, to have a good time or to enjoy myself. It's not that the Lord is keeping you away from pleasure or keeping you from having a good time. God wants to keep you away from hell. And this is exactly what you see here now, that the more they reject God, the more painful this process is. So notice what happens, that they curse the God of heaven because of their pains and because of their sores. In verse 11 here, and they did not repent of their deeds. The word repent is that word metanoia in the Greek, which means to change your mind. Even after this judgment that they were experiencing, they refuse to change their mind. I wonder if today maybe God is speaking to us and we haven't changed our mind. And God is saying, I'm chastising you, I'm disciplining you right now so that you would change your mind and you still haven't changed your mind. Why is it that through, through this suffering, through this tribulation, your heart is still hard? Here you see it happening in the last days. What happens in this darkness? They were grinding their teeth. They were filled with fear. They were filled with terror now. They were gnashing their teeth, almost describing the same behavior that would be taking place in hell. It was in Matthew that Jesus described it this way, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. The same type of darkness describing it here on earth during the great tribulation. And they're in outer darkness. They're in hell there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Just think about when someone grinds their teeth. That's exactly what it's going to be. A pain that's going to make you grind your teeth. A darkness now, a weeping that is going to cause you to gnash your teeth. People say, well, you know what? I don't care if I go to hell. The rebellious. Those that have no fear of God in the world. I don't care if I go to hell. All my friends are going to be there. We're going to party in hell. All of us together. No, you're not. It says there's going to be weeping. You're going to be crying out there in regret finally. Why didn't I repent? Why didn't I change my mind? Why was there not that repentance of mine after seeing the judgment of God always pursuing me in His grace because His judgment is always followed by grace? There's going to be a day of darkness. Joel chapter 2, verse 1. Joel chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm. Write that down. Joel chapter 2, verse 1. In my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land 
tremble. This is a prophecy that is describing the fifth bowl. For the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people came, great and strong, the like of whom has never been nor will ever be of any such after them, even for many successive generations. Now notice what happens even after you read these five bowls only. There's going to be sores that cause pain. There's also going to be heat that burns. And there's going to be darkness that brings terror. If you put those three things together, it just reminds you of a picture of hell. Pain, darkness, as it describes it, pain, darkness, terror. And here is describing a separation, now giving people a taste, only a taste of the eternal judgment that is to come if they don't repent. You see that this is what the Lord is doing now? Only a taste of hell with the now boils that give us pain. With the sun that is scorching, what does the Bible say? that It is a lake of fire, hell, that is going to burn. And a darkness of eternal separation that brings terror and fear and oppression now for eternity that doesn't ever stop. So it describes a taste of what hell would be like. Now let's look at here, after noticing the wrath of God, the war of Armageddon. In verse 12, it describes it, then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. This is the river in which you see all of creation began there in the Garden of Eden. The river Euphrates cut right through that Garden of Eden. And isn't it interesting that where it all began, it's all going to end? There by the river Euphrates. Well, there it says that the sixth bowl was poured on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. You see, the great river of Euphrates separates the kings now from the east to have access directly to the nation of Israel. But at this time, what's happening is that the angel would pour out this now bowl on the river of Euphrates and that river would be dried up. Giving now the kings of the east, now that confederacy of nations that can march their armies west now towards Israel and towards Jerusalem and made a passage now without hindrance so that they can invade the Holy Land. Who is it that is there on the east? You see nations like China, Japan, Russia that would come and want to invade Israel. So here at this sixth bowl, we see that that's exactly what takes place. They now have access to invade Israel. And in verse 13, look what happens. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon. Now a frog was considered an unclean animal. So here they see, you know, we saw three now spirits like frogs that leap out. Unclean evil spirits that leap out or demonic spirits. One that comes out of this unholy trinity like the dragon, which is Satan. The next comes out of the mouth of the beast, which is the Antichrist. The next now frog or the spirit that leaps out, a demonic spirit that leaps out, comes out of the false prophet. And these three demonic spirits provoke the kings of the east to come make war finally against the nation of Israel. Now notice what the spirit of demons do. They're performing signs. They're performing miracles now. They're bringing deception to bring all the rules of the earth. They're gathering all the rules of the earth, the whole world now, in the spirit of war now, to gather for battle against God's people. Verse 14, notice as we read it, for they are the spirits of demons. And What are they doing? Performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of all the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God 
Almighty. What is that battle? It's the battle of Armageddon. And what's happening here is you see that these demonic spirits go into the hearts of those kings. After finally they have access to cross that Euphrates River, now they have clean passage. It's clear their way. And they're coming now as they're getting ready for the day of the Lord on that great day of judgment of God Almighty. Now notice how God is orchestrating all these things. Oftentimes, we don't understand why God does the things He does in our lives. We can't comprehend His ways in our minds, but what He's doing is He's drawing them in only to destroy them in the battle of Armageddon. Isn't it awesome to know that God always has a plan? That He's always now enticing these kings to be moved for war so that they can fight, that they would invade Israel now? This is Ezekiel chapter 38 and Ezekiel chapter 39 of the things of which we see today. You see nations invading other nations. <laughs> Unrest now, war in the Middle East. We have to understand that, that this is God's permissive will. God allows these nations to come against Israel only to destroy them. God's permissive will. That is exactly what it is. That God is allowing these things to happen. But this is also God's purposed will. This is why we cannot ever be angry with God when He does things in our life. Has He ever done things and, and the timing oftentimes is not convenient? <laughs> the struggle, the trial, the suffering. But notice, God has not only a permissive will, not only does God allow it, He also has a purpose will. That because of it, He plans it. So today, no, God not only has allowed this, He's also planned this for His purposes. God's purpose goes far beyond the minds that we can understand or comprehend. And He has a purpose for these people of the earth to gather them only to overcome them and to show that He's all-powerful. But there He takes in verse 15 a break. And look at how He encourages those that are suffering. He brings encouragement to us. As now here John is writing to those that were suffering. This entire here revelation, this entire these letters this, that, that, that the church is reading, it's, it's a form of encouragement to the church that was currently suffering. That they would understand the things that are going to take place, how the story ends, that we will one day be with the Lord. And he wanted to give them encouragement here in verse 15. You hear a voice. The letters are in red there in your Bible. And you see here now Jesus speaking. Jesus here interrupts now and He says this, Behold, look, I'm coming as a thief. Would you underline that in your Bible? He doesn't come. He's not going to let us know. Do you know a thief ever lets you know? You know what? I'm going to go to your house tomorrow at 3 a.m. I'm going to rob you just to let you know. That's not the way a thief comes in. A thief comes in when you are not expecting it. And here in verse 15, we have a warning, an encouragement, knowing here, be ready so that you will not be here during this time. Be ready so that you will not have to be here during this time. Notice here in verse 15, Behold, look, I'm coming as a thief. I'm coming unexpectedly. Blessed is he. There's a blessing of he who watches and keeps his garments. Number one, watches. Always watching. Always waiting. Is he coming? Is he here yet? Is he going to get here yet? Is Jesus coming? Have you ever ordered something, maybe online or Amazon, and, and you're always waiting? Is my package here yet? Has anybody seen anything? You're looking out the window. You're finding out, is it here yet? And you have an anticipation now for that which you ordered that you're expecting to receive. So here he's saying, behold, watch with anticipation. I wonder if it's going to be today. <laughs> Imagine if you wake up in the morning every single day and you say, well, I wonder if it's going to be today. Or maybe when you go to bed, I wonder if tonight it's going to be the night that I close my eyes and when I open them, I'm going to see him there face to face and I'm going to awake in his likeness. Amen. Some people are not that excited. I, I just I need to make it one more. I have things to do. God doesn't care about you, what, your things that you want. His, his things are better than your things. 
And his ways are higher than your ways, says the Lord. And notice what happens here. Blessed is he who is watching, who are watching for what? Waiting for the Lord and keeps his garments. What does it mean? That their clothing is ready, that they're living clean lives. In verse 15, it's speaking of garments of righteousness. Blessed are those that are watching and those that are living in purity when he comes. Bless those that are watching and those that are living in purity, living in practical holiness at that time, that they don't have to walk around naked and ashamed in their sin. Notice, blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, does he walk naked and they see his shame. You see, he is coming, and he is, his coming is not only imminent, it's not only important, it's not only powerful, it's not only to come, sure, but it's immediate. And here he's saying, be ready. Be ready so that you would be avoiding the contamination of this world, even though the pressures are unbearable. Just ask yourself today, what are you going to be doing? What do you want to be now doing? What do you want him to find you doing when he comes? And that's exactly how you become now watching and waiting, living in holiness. That everything that you do, would you say, you know, if he comes today, would I want him to find me doing this? Would I want him to find me doing this? In 1 Thessalonians 5.2, Paul tells the church of Thessalonica, for you yourselves know perfectly, you know this perfectly, that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. He's going to come like a thief in the night when you don't expect Him to come. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. Write this down, church. 1 John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in Him. Abide means to remain, to dwell, to live, to stay connected. Abide in Him. That when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. You can Abide in Him. Don't backslide, abide. So that when He comes, you're not ashamed. You can walk in confidence every day. I, I wonder, this next step, I can be taking it in eternity and, it's, and I'm going to be celebrating. Abide in Him. What about Mark chapter 13, verse 32? Mark 13, 32, it says, But on the great day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels. So don't try to figure it out. It says the angels that are in heaven, they don't know when this is going to happen. Or the Son. But only the Father. Notice, not even the Son knows. If the Son doesn't know, Jesus Himself who's sitting at the right hand, how would we know? <laughs> only the Father knows that perfect time. Only the personality of the Father of the triune God would know this. So He says, take heed. Pay attention. Watch and pray. I want you to circle those words. Write those words in your Bible in Mark there, 13 verse 32. Watch and pray. What are we to do as we wait for Him? Are we to turn the, the news and speculate? And try to find out what, 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 what's going on here? Go to social media and trust any single person that's talking there now? No, watch and then pray. Watch and pray as a church for you to know when the time is. It's like a man going to a far country who has left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work, and he commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Notice how he gives a parable here. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. God has left us stewards in his house. And we don't know when that master is coming. He can come in the evening. He can come at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster in the morning, lest he come suddenly. Notice that. Lest he come quickly, suddenly, and he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I also say to all, watch. Is He going to find you sleeping spiritually? Is He going to find you sleeping to spiritual things? So it says there in Revelation 16, verse 16 now, and they gathered them together to the place in Hebrew, Armageddon. You see, when the sixth bowl came and was poured on the Euphrates River, 
the Euphrates River now cleared the path so that all the nations can gather there in the valley of Megiddo. And we gather there in Armageddon, this valley of Megiddo, there's 14 miles wide, 20 miles long. And there all the nations of the world would meet there. It's a passage for everyone to meet there for this ultimate battle where now we would come and it's going to be the battle between good and evil, the final battle between good and evil now. This is the place of Armageddon. It's called the place of troops. Where there, Israel, it's going to be invaded. And God would allow them to be invaded, but in His plan, He would overcome all of the enemies of Israel. And notice, that would usher in the second coming of Christ to establish His rule and His reign here on earth. And we're going to be coming with Him riding on horses. We're so grateful. I, I want to ride on horses today. I mean, you look at the gas prices, I can say, Lord, can I just start riding the horse now? You send my horse now, Lord, it'd be good. But we're going to be riding on those horses. Zechariah chapter 14, it speaks of this from Israel's perspective. Zechariah 14.2 For we'll gather all the nations to the battle against Jerusalem. This is why we have to keep our eye on Israel. When Israel's enemies start surrounding it and becoming very audacious and bold to come in against it and invade it, we know that the end is very near. Whoever is an enemy or an ally of an enemy of Israel, we have to understand as they want to come in to invade and take over this nation, God has allowed that. But they will not be overcome. Notice what it says, Zechariah 4, verse 2. I will gather all the nations to the battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses riffled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall be go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as He fights in the day of battle. God will defend them. And they will not be overcome. That's why we stand with Israel today. Genesis chapter 12 is very much so important today as it was that day where Abraham received it, where he says, I will bless those who bless Israel, and I will curse those who curse Israel. I think it's so awesome that we can be a part of a church here that has a testimony for supporting Israel for over 40 years. Can we praise the Lord for that? That we've been a part of that? But look at the wasting of the earth finally in verse 17 as we see the seventh bowl. And the seventh bowl poured out on the bowl on the air. And a loud voice came on the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. Do you remember those words as, they were, as Christ cried them out from the cross of Calvary? It is finished. It is done. It is finished. Now in John 19 verse 30, Jesus Himself cried out these words. God's judgment now of Christ on Calvary provided salvation for repentant sinners there. But the judgment of this seventh bowl brings down doom to the unrepentant sinner, to the sinner that will not repent. It's done. All the judgment, all the wrath has been fully served on this wicked earth. And now he hears that voice from heaven. It is finally finished now. And there were great noises and thunderings and lightnings and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had never occurred since the men were on the earth. Such a great earthquake. Notice, there's going to be a shaking up of things. And the great city was divided into three parts. It would be split now, Jerusalem, three ways. Of the cities of the nations that fell in great Babylon or the system there of the Antichrist was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of His wrath through this earthquake. Notice what's going to happen. God is going to bring all things and destroy all things, bring things to an end. This division of the three now in, uh, of the great city, it's only the preparation for the second coming. Many cities and nations would have fallen to heaps of trash and of rubble. Everything that we see today is going to be rock, stone over stone. This is why... Jesus said, don't be so impressed with things of this world. 
Don't be so mesmerized with buildings. It's just dust. They're just rocks. <laughs> it's going to end up heap over heap, stone over stone. Do not be so obsessed and impressed over those things. Then every island, of, notice verse 20, fled away and the mountains were not found. There was going to be an upheaval geographically now because of the wrath of God. But notice what happens. And great hail from heaven fell upon men. There was a hail now of stones that would come down. Each hailstone about the weight of a talent. You know what the weight of a talent is? It's the weight of 100 pounds. Think about hail, stones coming down of 100 pounds. And they come as the final judgment after that great earthquake to those that were rejecting the Lord. And look at what happens here. And men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail. Since that plague was exceedingly great. Instead of repenting, you know what they do? They curse God. They curse God. They were unrepentant. Isn't that in the Old Testament, the stoning? Wasn't that the punishment? Now, for the crime of blaspheming God. So here God is carrying out this punishment to those that are repentant. And everything that man has built will crumble before their eyes. Think about that today. Everything that man wants to build is going to one day crumble before their eyes because they put their trust in that. That's why today we don't put our trust in a building. We don't put our trust in uh, even in education. We don't put our trust in, in, in experience, in a man, in an organization, in a house. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And one day we will come again with him. Our trust is in Jesus Christ. And God is fulfilling his purposes. He's achieving his plan through his word. This is why in Luke chapter 12, notice what Jesus says, Luke 12, 35, as we end, let your waist be girded and let your lamp be burning. Today I want to ask you, is your waist girded? Like those servants now who are waiting for their master to come from the wedding? Or is your waist girded? You know what it means to have your waist girded? Waist, that means you're ready to serve and receive the master. Lamps burning, that means that you have oil there, the oil of the Holy Spirit. That there's oil of the Holy Spirit in your life. That you're ready now, waiting. That you, the master of the house would not come at an hour that you don't expect. And finally, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15 tells us this. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion. If you hear this today, if you're listening to this today, you're listening about this judgment, don't be like those that said, I'm going to harden my heart instead of open your heart to Christ. And let the mercy of God, the grace of God fill your life and say, Lord, today, I'm not going to harden my heart against judgment or against discipline, against your ways. I want to say, Lord, today, I want to watch and pray. Watch and wait. I want my waist to be girded, my lamp to be burning. Your ways are better than my ways, Lord. You can come tonight and I'll be satisfied. I am waiting with anticipation, with hope. That's what hope means. Anticipation, expectancy. When you think about hope, it's something that you're waiting for, something that you're waiting on. And today, we as believers, we have more hope than ever. When we look at the things that are taking place around the world, we have more hope than ever. Let's give people a reason to believe in Jesus Christ, that He is coming again. Amen. Let's pray.